I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Work Stories is a place for women of color to share their experiences in the workplace. We're no longer whispering these stories to our best friends and partners and then shoving them to the backs of our minds and just dealing. We're talking about bias, equal pay, bad bosses, racist hiring practices, and all the crazy things your coworkers have done or said to you. This is a safe place to tell those stories. The floor is open, y'all. We are telling it all. Welcome back to Work Stories. Okay, so this episode is a really special one. Ahead of Women's History Month, I got to interview five judges that work in Dallas County, Texas five black female judges that work in Dallas County. So this county has more black female judges than any other county in the country. And while no one seems to be completely sure why that is, one thing is super clear, they are making their mark on the legal system and the lives of the surrounding communities. And now you. I'm about to let you hear snippets from each interview. Be prepared to be amazed and inspired because this is Work Stories and I only ever bring you amazing and inspiring women. You know this. First up, Judge Tanya Parker, a popular award-winning judge running unopposed several times. This TEDx speaker is also the first openly gay black female judge in the state. Here is a little bit from Judge Parker. So talk to me about what inspired you to study law and what were your original goals? Studying law was inspired by a woman who has been just an amazing force in our profession and a role model for me as she is a trailblazer. Her name is Mary Ellen Hicks. Uh, she goes by Judge Mary Ellen Hicks. I met her when I was a student at UNT in Denton and I was emceeing a black history program. She came up to me after the program and she said, have you ever thought about going to law school? And I said, no, I've actually never thought about that. At that time, I wanted to be a talk show host. <laughs> and she said, you should. And then she walked away. And it stayed with me, uh, both because she said it and because who she was saying it. And I felt like uh, if she saw something in me, that maybe I ought to give some consideration to whether I could see it in myself. And so I then began to prepare to take the LSAT. And she felt, uh, she conveyed to me, that I had some of the skills that would be useful to me as a lawyer. And I gave it thought from that point forward and took the LSAT. 
God, and I'm a person who really relies on my faith to make decisions. And so I literally said, you know, since this is something that I had not thought about before Judge Hicks brought it to me, I'm going to apply to one law school. I don't recommend that, by the way. (laughs) But I said, I'm going to apply to one law school. And if I get in, then that will be the conveyance Mm -hmm. of um, affirmation from God that this is what is desired for me. So that's what I did. I applied to SMU Law School, uh, calculated my very slim odds of getting accepted (laughs) and said, okay, well, if it happens, it it does. And I got accepted and the rest is literally history. Can you tell us a story that you feel like is a great depiction of what being a black female judge is like? There's so many to pull from (laughs) because there are days where I literally go inside my head and I say that it has to matter that you, you, in all your glory, in every aspect, in everything that you represent, it has to matter that you are sitting here Mm -hmm. versus someone else. And that is the call to my heart and mind to bring to bear every resource that I have available to me from my ancestors, from my faith, from my knowledge of the law and the rules of procedure and evidence, and also my common sense and my life experience walking with people like the ones who appear in front of me Mm -hmm. and calling all of that to bear and making sure that it matters in every proceeding that I'm presiding over. Yeah. So you have made history in the state as the first like openly queer black female judge. Does being the first feel like a form of liberation or burden? Gosh, what that is such a good question. Being the first, I think what trailblazers in many different areas would say about trailblazing is that if the focus is only on that I am the first, mm-hmm. then I really have not done much with the role. Mm-hmm. For me, what I hope is that I never get an award for being the first, but that I get an award for not being the last. Because if we swing the door open and we create opportunities for other people who are affiliated with similar demographics to me, then that's something that we can look back on and say, we blazed a trail. Otherwise, we were just, it was just a function of history that we were the first, Yeah. right? But to have the impact, you know, for it to really mean something, it's important for me to not be the last. And I'm proud of that, that I'm not the last Mm -hmm. and that others have come behind me in all of those areas. And swinging the door open is the thing that I'm proud of. So I don't ever feel it a burden because the task that I charge myself with every day is to, you know, the old people at church might say, show up and show out. I I just want to come every day and and just give the highest quality service that I can give to the people who have the matters before the court. And then in that way, I hope uh, bring a lot of pride to the various groups that I'm affiliated with and create opportunities for people who want to do this work or some similar work in our profession. Yeah. Next, we have Judge Dominique Torres-Williams. She's newly elected, she's the youngest serving judge in the county right now, and she brings a lot of valued perspective to the city as an Afro-Latina, a millennial, and somebody who grew up in the community she's serving. Let's hear from her. Tell us about your law trajectory and how you chose this profession. I have wanted to be an attorney since I was in the third grade. I grew up in a biracial household. My mom is Mexican-American and my dad is African-American. And I grew up in a community that looked 
like me, right? I grew up with black people on our neighbors, Hispanic people as our neighbors. And so I knew that there was disparity in how our community looked versus the community when I went up north. I'm born and raised in Dallas, Texas. And so a big thing that we hear about here in Dallas is the divide between north and south. And it is real, yeah. it is true. And I knew that if there was disparity, that meant that there needed to be somebody to advocate and help people get out of that disparity. And I knew that I wanted to be one of those people. Mm -hmm. Did you see anything in third grade or around that time that really kind of showed you how it wasn't fair? Did you know of anything going on? Knowing that President John F. Kennedy was assassinated here. So mm -hmm. I delved deep into John F. Kennedy information when I was in the third grade. I did a huge project on him and I was like, he's fighting for civil rights. Mm -hmm. He is fighting for all of us. He was yeah. also a lawyer yeah. himself. And so that was a big part in shaping my love and passion for the law. So you represent a new generation on the bench. Yes. Right? I feel like a lot of people who talk to are Gen Xers or baby boomers, but as a millennial, what do you think that brings to the courtroom? Should it bring anything? So I do, for me, I believe it brings a unique perspective. In May, I will be a licensed attorney for eight years. So I am one of the youngest on the bench, but also one of the most recently barred on the bench as well. And so it, it gives me a different perspective, especially when it comes to technology, mm -hmm. because now here in our criminal courts building in Dallas County, in May, all of our filings are going to be electronic. Everything that we have is going to be electronic. Um, in my courtroom on Thursdays, we have a designated afternoon where we do Zoom pleas okay. for, for people. Uh, we do Zoom admonishments for people who ha may have some violations for their probation or their bond. Rather than have them come down physically to the courthouse, we will do it via Zoom. And so I think for me, it brings a perspective of being more inclined towards technology because this is what I've been using for the entirety of my life for the most part. Yeah. So I think it gives a fresher perspective on those type of things. Okay. So why do you think there's so many black female judges in Dallas County? What is this about and why is it this special, why is this special thing happening here? You know, I have to say I'm so blessed to, um, while I was in law school, see the comeuppance of so many black female judges mm -hmm. and the judiciary, not only here in the criminal section, but also civil and family. And for me, I realize how lucky I am to be able to be in a county that has so many black female judges here. I think it is a combination of sisterhood. It's a combination of attorneys here who have tenacity, but who also know that there is a support system here for them when they decide to run. And so it is such a great county and where we know that if we want to get out there and run, we know that we are the best candidates. There are going to be people there to help support us on that journey. Yeah. When we think about the, your time in law school, when you think about your time and what other people are currently in school and trying to make a decision of what they want to do or how they want to go about it, what advice do you have, particularly for Black women and Latinas in law school right now? Keep pushing. It is very difficult. So I have a unique story in that I was academically dismissed from law school three times. What? Yes. <laughs> oh, I need this full story. Yes, yes. <laughs> so during my first year of law school, second semester, my grandmother, who lived with us, suffered a major heart attack mm. and she was in a coma from April until July. In April is when our most first year law students have a major memo that is due, a major assignment. I was in the hospital while I was completing my memo. I took my law school take home exams by her bedside uh, while she was at Parkland Hospital and I failed. Um, 
As I had stated, I'm the oldest of four children. My mom was a single parent raising us, and so I was her support system and I was her backbone. And I wasn't really able to be a true law student at that time, so I was academically dismissed. My GPA fell to about a 1.8, I believe. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. And I was devastated. So I petitioned the school to allow me back in. They allowed me back in on probation. I did not do that much better the second time on probation. So I was terminated again. I was sent another letter, which now all of my letters actually hang in, in my home office. I was sent a letter saying that I was once again academically dismissed. So I came um, I petitioned one more time and I was accepted back in. I was 0.01 point away on my GPA from, um, from reaching the threshold that I needed mm -hmm. to be able to stay as a full-time student, but I did not reach it. And so for the third time, I was academically dismissed from law school and I prayed, I cried, but I also spoke to my professors and I petitioned one more time. And this time that petition went before the full faculty. So the full faculty had a vote on whether or not I should be readmitted into law school. I had uh, my constitutional law professor whose class I made an A in, but whose crim pro class my first year I had failed came and advocated in front of me, in front of the full faculty and said, Ms. Torres, deserves to stay here at this law school. And they let me back in. But without a couple of things, without perseverance on my part, saying that I knew that this is what I wanted to do, without prayers um, from, from family and friends, I would not be sitting here right now. Mm -hmm. And so there are gonna be times for young law students who think that they may not be able to do this, that this may not be the path for them. Ignore those thoughts, because it is. What is meant for you will be for you, and you have to overcome those hurdles, and you can. Mm -hmm. And I, I'm a testament to it. I'm sitting here as a judge, an elected judge in Dallas County, as the youngest um, current presiding criminal court judge in this county. But I was academically dismissed out of law school three times. So it can be done. It is meant to be done, but you have to have the heart and the determination to do it. That's a powerful testimony, wow. Now we'll talk to the Honorable Cheryl Shannon, currently the longest serving judge in Dallas County. With bright blonde hair and elaborate long nails, you'd be surprised to know that she actually feels like quite a conservative person. Here she is. Do you have a ritual before starting a new trial? Do you meditate or have a playlist? I have a ritual anything? before I start every day, and that is what? I start with prayer. Okay. I am asking God for wisdom for that entire day. Sometimes during the course of a case, I'm like, oh my gosh, I just don't know how this is going to turn out or what I'm going to do. And if I need to ask for more wisdom, I'm steadily asking for wisdom during the course of the day. I don't have a playlist. I just have a God request. Mm -hmm. Wow. Love that. Yeah. And that's something you've been doing the whole, your whole career. The whole career. God has been faithful to me. Great, great. Um, longest serving judge in Dallas County? Yes, at this point. What does yeah. that feel like? Surreal. And then I do wonder, you know, where the years went. How did this happen? I've now been on the bench. I'm starting my 29th year in district court. And it seems like, you know, a couple of years ago. Mm -hmm. So it's hard to, you know, figure out how, what happened? How did I get here? How have I been here this long? But it's been a journey. It's been an amazing journey. And it's been a fun journey, quite mm -hmm. frankly. 
Yeah, so you've seen a lot of things here over that time. How have things changed from when you first came in? I've seen a lot over the years and probably I've changed. And the way I look at things has changed more than what I think people have changed. Because, you know, when you see things in court, a lot of it, it may be a different fact situation, a different way of abuse. Same kinds of offenses committed in different ways. So it's a lot of the same, but I think I've changed. My, my, my filter, the way I look at things, the way I look at life, uh, the way I look at circumstances, people, that has really changed over the course of the years. I've grown a lot and I I see people and I see events and I see life differently from what I did when I started 28 years ago. Mm -hmm. I was so idealistic, I think, then. But life happens uh, and life grows us, matures us, changes us. And I just have this profound understanding in the worst of the worst circumstances and cases that, but for the grace of God, there go I or one of my family members. Mm -hmm. And so I approach those circumstances and I approach cases realizing that this is real life. These are people's lives. People have been impacted, affected, and um, it's not just a case, mm -hmm. right? And so I've changed a lot. Um, you've seen black women come in and, and run these courtrooms over the years at this astounding number. What do you think about that? I love it. I love it. And honestly, I am so excited for them um, because I see their ideas. I see this fresh approach. I see these out of the box kind of thinking. It's not stale. It's not stagnated. It's not, we can't do this new because like the Baptist church, we can't do anything new because we've always, always done it this way. Mm -hmm. You know, it's exciting to see them and to commune and to talk to them and share ideas and just and see some of the programs they're creating and, and the energy that they have, you know, it's great. It's yeah. great. Yeah. What has your experience been, particularly over these years of, you know, ebbs and flows and changes, what has your experience been being a black woman in, in this court? It's been an interesting journey to be a black woman in court. When I first started out, I seemed to have had to earn the respect of people that didn't look like me. Mm. And I didn't believe that other people were having that same experience that didn't look like me mm -hmm. and they were on the bench, right? Yeah. And so I had to kind of fight and claw my way through and earn the respect and the title. Um, but then I settled in and realized that, you know, I'm here, I'm here for a reason. I know what I'm doing. I don't have to get into a verbal dispute. Mm -hmm with a lawyer or a litigant, mm -hmm. uh, if it gets too heated, I'm gonna take five minutes. I can take a break and go to my office mm -hmm. and I can come back and I'm gonna make a ruling and it's gonna all be okay because <laughs> I'm going home at the end of this day. Right, <laughs> right. love that. Let's talk about Judge Gracie Lewis. She's mostly retired, but still gets on the bench from time to time to fill in for other judges. And word on the street, she's tough. And as someone who grew up in a small Texas town in the 60s and 70s, she's seen a lot. And after 28 years in Dallas County as a public defender and a judge, she's seen even more. So I guess let's just start off. Tell us a little bit about yourself and your upbringing. I hear you're from a small town. I am from a small town. I'm originally from Hempstead, Texas. It's a small town outside of Houston, about 50 miles outside of Houston, Okay. near College Station. I grew up raised by my Grandmother and grandfather, small town farming, that kind of thing, church on Sunday, 
Saturday, we go to town and get groceries, you know, that kind of yeah. background. Yeah. Yeah. Church was a very big part of our lives. Okay. Mm -hmm. So how do you go from small rural town to wanting to be an attorney? At what age did that spark for you? Actually, the small town kind of birthed that. The town that I grew up in, in Waller County, had a reputation as being one of the most racist counties in Texas, if you can imagine that. And um, and when I was a little girl, uh, there was a young man who was killed by a police officer. And nothing happened to the police officer, even as a child. That mm -hmm. bothered me. You I mean, nobody's going to arrest him, yeah. even though he was a police officer. Yeah. And I thought, well, you know what? When I grow up, I want to be able to make a difference. Mm -hmm. I want to be able to help. So that kind of birthed that in me. I didn't know what that meant at that time. I just knew I wanted to be a part of the solution rather than the problem. Yeah. And so it wasn't until I got to college that I realized that I wanted to go to law school. Mm -hmm. You have been in the courtroom a long time. You're, you're a staple in this county. Yeah. You're known for being tough. <laughs> Where does that come from? Do you agree with that? Yes and no. Okay. Yes, I am tough in the sense that I think that people should have to be responsible for their behavior, but I'm fair. I don't punish people just to punish people. I take my sentencing very seriously. And um, I, I think about it a lot. It's not like, you know, I'll throw a dart up against the wall and see which number I come up with. I really think about what I think this person needs in order to make a change. And also, what is a fair punishment for the crime that has been committed? So talk to me about being a Black woman attorney. What has that been like throughout your career? It has always been a challenge. It's probably less of a challenge now than it used to be. When I was in law school, I can remember there weren't a lot of African-American lawyers to begin with in law school, but I can remember being told, well, you know, you'll never get a job. You'll probably have to go out into private practice because nobody's going to hire you. And uh, I can remember probably one of my most vivid memories was they would have summer internships. And so a lot of the firms, the large firms would come to the campus and they would choose people to intern for the summer. And I went to an interview and I was really excited, got a little suit and everything. And I went to the interview and I sit down for the interview and the person that was interviewing me walked into the room. He looked at me and he said, you have any questions? And I said, no. I mean, he didn't, we didn't have a conversation. He, said, he just said, do you have any questions? And I said, no. And he said, me either, and walked out. He didn't interview me. He didn't say anything. And I just felt so belittled by that. Mm -hmm. And I think that when I was in law school, there weren't a lot of female attorneys, mm -hmm. and there were not a lot of African-American attorneys. Mm -hmm. So there were times that I did feel belittled by that. Mm -hmm. But you know what? I, I have a strong faith, and I just feel like God always open doors for me. Mm -hmm. Sometimes some doors that I didn't see open for other people that I think were deserving also, but I never let it stop. You know, I was going to always be prepared. I wasn't going to ask you for anything that I didn't feel like I deserved to have or that I wasn't willing to work for. And even though I may have a stern reputation, I would also like to believe that I have a reputation as having an extremely good work ethic. Yeah. What's your legacy? Ooh, that's a good question. I don't know.
I don't know. I'd like to believe that my legacy is that I try to be fair to people. I try to do right by people. I would like young attorneys that have been before me to feel like I helped them in some way, help them to be a better lawyer, whether it was through my example or whether it was through me being more direct with them. I'd like to believe that the people that come in front of me, even though they may say, oh, you know, lock them up, Lewis. <laughs> <laughs> Such a good nickname. Do you like it? I mean, you know, what? I've gotten, I've gotten to where I, I've got it. I got to accept it. Yeah. You know, yeah. It, it's, it's something that stuck. <laughs> it, you know, I was in, in juvenile court and the kids were like, you know, she's going to lock you up. So it became lock them up, Lewis. And so I've, I've got to accept it, you know, but my legacy to me was I would like for people to feel like I made a difference in their lives. Mm -hmm. uh, being in my courtroom, meeting me, interacting with me help them to be a better person in some way. And I guess that sounds kind of uppity, but yeah, I, I would. I'd like that to be my legacy. Lastly, Judge Shaquita Kelly, a Texas transplant whose story of overachieving started early when she brought her baby to college and then to law school. And every day after, she kept beating the odds and inspiring others. So you've handled a lot of particularly hard cases involving family violence and child abuse. How do you try those cases and then go on about your business without holding on to what you've absorbed in that courtroom? So how do I let go of what I see every day? Yeah. I think first of all, it comes from experience. I got involved in the field of domestic violence in 1998 and I studied it and so I mean, after so much time, unfortunately, it's not as bad anymore. You become desensitized to it a little bit. But I also have a strong faith and I don't walk in here with just self. I walk in here with God, you know, helping me make those decisions because I know that if I make a wrong decision, that someone could die. Mm -hmm. Right. That's the thing about these type of cases is that someone might be arrested for slapping their significant other and they come in here and then a week later they're arrested for murder. And they're like, everyone's like, well, it was just a slap, but right. you don't know what's going on inside people's households. So I have to rely heavily on my faith so that when I get on that bench and when I get off the bench, I can say, everything's fine. Mm -hmm. God's got it. Yeah. Right. Not Shaquita, not Judge Kelly. God's got it. Mm -hmm. And I did that as a prosecutor when I was prosecuting child abuse cases because there was this fear that if I make a mistake, this little person is going to go home and get abused. Yeah. That's a lot of stress. Lot of right. And I would just pray because I don't know what happened. I wasn't there. Mm hmm. I wasn't a victim. I wasn't um, the offender. I have no idea, but I do know who does. Mm -hmm. And so my faith is what really makes me leave this job and leave it here and be okay at the end of the day. <sighs> Are we going to cry? <laughs> yeah. okay, I won't. I won't. Um, that's beautiful. So you're a black woman. Yes, I law. am. And I love it. <laughs> <laughs> and I love being a black woman. <laughs> it's the best thing. And But sometimes we love it. And sometimes we can get into spaces that don't want us there. Has that been your experience while practicing law or has it been different? Oh, absolutely. And it goes all the way back from when I was a prosecutor when I first graduated and I was called a pickaninny by my judge. Yeah. I was told to go back to go back home. And um, that was tough. You know, I was in a room full of older white men. They were all lawyers. It was a good boys network. And I was called honey and sweetie. But I'm not scared. I'm not a scary person and I don't do bullying. And so I was able to articulate and stand up for myself to everyone except that judge. And still today, mm -hmm. I, I, I'm upset with myself because I was a coward to him. And then when I decided to run for judge, although I have the credentials, at that time I, was a, I had been a lawyer for 13 years, clearly 
all of my career is uh, crimes involving victims. Mm -hmm. So I have the experience for a bench like this that deals with crimes involving victims. But there still is a question as to my intelligence and my, you know, my background as to whether or not I was suitable for the job. Mm -hmm. And for me, honestly, I've always been questioned because I was a teenage mom. I've always been questioned and always been prejudged, so I was used to it. It does nothing but make me work harder. Mm -hmm. I mean, it really just makes me like, oh, so now I gotta show you, right? right? <laughs> now I have to prove a point. <laughs> but then when I got on the bench, it's difficult because being a judge means wearing a mask at times. And I've never been a mask wearer. Mm -hmm. I've always been a, this is who I am, take it or leave it type person. And when you have attorneys being disrespectful to you, you know just because of the color of your skin and you have to wear that mask, you can't react how you would normally react without the robe. It's tough. And that's when you leave some days and you're just like, <sighs> right? Yeah. And I've had that. I've, I've had lawyers that will come up to the bench and I'll overrule their or objection and they'll say, well, I don't know if you know what the law says. Or I've had, you know, lawyers who didn't like how I ruled and they would be very aggressive and my bailiff had to check them. Like, hey, 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 what do you, you need to calm down, sir. Mm -hmm. And I know that that would not happen to my counterparts, but I wear that mask and I push through and we shouldn't have to. We should not have to just because of the, the color of our skin. It's it's horrible. In 2023, mm -hmm. we're still here. So being a black woman is amazing, but it doesn't come without any cost. Mm -hmm. What do you think is so intimidating about black women? Out of any other subgroup, what is the issue with our group? Why is it so hard for people to take instruction from us, to learn from us, to listen to us? <laughs> um, I think it's because... At the end of the day, it's not about your feelings. We're gonna tell you what needs to be done. We're going to get it done. We have the intelligence to get it done. And we're not gonna apologize for that. We're not gonna ask for permission either. And that's one thing that I like about being a black female is that we don't ask for permission. I didn't ask could I run for this bench. Mm -hmm. I did it. Right. And many didn't want us to run for these benches and we were like, Okay, well, you probably need to go talk to somebody about that because this is what we're doing. Mm -hmm. and, and if you look in different industries, black women, we don't ask permission. We just do it. Mm -hmm. And we show you that we got this and we're brilliant at it. So it's, a, it's, it's a, hey, if I wasn't black, I'd be a little envious. I mean, <laughs> I wasn't a black woman, it, huh? you, you know? Yeah, it. I'd be like, man. When we make those decisions and we execute, we land it every time. Yeah. We land it every oh, time. That's true. That's true. <laughs> It's true. Oh my gosh. Um, okay, so so for this final bit, I want you to talk to single moms who have put their dreams on hold or maybe decided I can't do this at all. What would you say to them if they're struggling to do what they want to do, but also take care of their kid and prioritize their kid? Girl, you could do both. First of all, I'm going to say don't beat up on yourself. Don't put yourself last. Put yourself first. Although you have children, when you put yourself first, you essentially are putting your kids first. Go after your dream. Just putting them on the back burner, why? You can do both. 
I am a prime example that you can do both. Go after them and your kids will watch and learn from you. And the next thing you know, they'll be running after their dreams. But if you put your dreams on hold, you're kind of teaching them to not really go after theirs. So be the example. Go after your dreams, take your children with you, and know that you can do it. I did it at 18. I know that you can too. These five powerful women are part of the crew of 42 black women on the bench in what many would say a conservative state, AKA white ruling. But maybe the tide is changing in Texas, especially in big cities like Dallas. Maybe black women and other women of color will soon change the narrative in the state. And when they do, when we do, <laughs> know that it took sacrifice, restraint, and a hell of a lot of perseverance. Have a good week. And if you like this episode, let us know by leaving a review or saying hi on Instagram. Take care.